Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps, the weekly podcast exploring the business of storytelling, where I interview many of the world's greatest marketers and storytellers to share their insights and ideas of how to put emotion into marketing. This week, I have the pleasure of talking to David, Meam and Scott. David is an internationally renowned marketing and sales strategist. He's a best-selling author of many books, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR, and my favorite, Newsjacking. We talk about newsjacking and real-time marketing this week. We also look at overcoming fears and embracing new opportunities. And finally, what marketers can learn from the Grateful Dead. Okay, David, thank you so much for um, agreeing to be on our, our podcast. We're really pleased to have you, and I know we'll get a lot out of you, and the listeners will be um, very, very pleased to hear what you've got to say today. Uh, great. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Um, David, before we start, uh, the first time I, um, I met you and saw you speak was a few years now, in, in, uh, a few years ago in, in Inbound uh, HubSpot's conference. Yeah. And one story that um, stayed with me was um, the, the, the story you told about the, the, the little insurance company in, in Australia, and it made that point about real-time marketing just to kick us off. Could you um, just sort of relive that, that story as an introduction yeah. to your, your real-time marketing expertise? Sure. So real-time marketing is just the idea of understanding what's going on right now this minute, which is completely different from what the vast majority of companies and marketers do, which is plan campaigns for the future. Uh, and specifically, one of the tactics of real-time marketing I call newsjacking, and newsjacking is the art and science of injecting your ideas into a breaking news story. So this insurance company, TIO Insurance, uh, out of Australia, learned that President Obama was going to be visiting Australia, and so what they did was the moment that the president landed on Australian soil, they did a blog post and a media release where they um, gave President Obama a $50,000 insurance policy against being eaten by a crocodile. So if he, were to, if he were to be killed by a crocodile while in Australia, TIO insurance would give $50,000 to Michelle Obama. And, you know, it's just a ridiculous story. Um, but what's cool is that it generated to- tons and tons of attention for TIO insurance because... All of the members of the media, of course, were prepared to cover President Obama's visit. And they all got the same information as everybody else got, you know, when he was going to be arriving, who he was going to be meeting, what cities he was going to, uh, uh, what he was going to do um, in uh, the meetings with the prime minister of Australia, all that sort of thing. And so um, all of a sudden, this crazy story of that if he gets eaten by a crocodile, he's insured. Um, pops up, and the journalists loved it, and they had an um, uh, they many many of them over three thousand actually mentioned that in their stories, and it just got tons of attention for this insurance company, and so different to do an approach like that to marketing than what most people do, which is you know try to interrupt people through campaigns of some sort. Um, the the big difference here is the idea of real time marketing is marketing when the market is ready 
as opposed to what almost every organization does, which is market when they're ready. Yeah, absolutely. And I was I was going to pick up on that that very point because obviously, as your story illustrates, it's such a powerful means of marketing with huge leverage um, in terms of um, the resources and costs you put in in terms of what you get out. But um, still. Uh, Business culture and processes, etc., seem to prohibit the typical business to be able to capitalise on that. And um, and obviously, you're also um, synonymous for writing the new rules of, of marketing and, and PR. But if you had to just sum up quickly, um, what is holding back businesses from being brave enough to uh, embrace this type of uh, marketing? What what? How would you do that? Well, I think you nailed it already. It's fear. Um, fear is the biggest barrier. And so you use the word bravery. Um, I think it takes a, a new kind of mindset within an organization that suggests that you've got to, you've got to change the way you think about time. You've got to change the way you think about creating information for people. You've got to change the way you think, even in fact, about giving away your best stuff and so many organizations don't do that um they withhold their best information you know they don't give pricing out to the last minute you know things like that so um this new form of marketing is required because the web is different you know it, people have near perfect information with the web you can find out um, what your customers think about your products. You can learn what the competitor is doing. You can um, see independent blogs and what they've written about your company's products and services. Um, you can see review sites to find out what people are saying. Um, you can connect with the CEO of a company on LinkedIn and see what people are saying on Twitter. I mean, it's just a completely different world than when there was less than perfect information in the old days when a company could control the, the discussion about what's going on with their organization. So from that perspective, um, what we're talking about here is that a company just needs to adopt different tools, and that requires a different mindset. And to develop that different mindset, you just have to overcome your fear of doing something different because we all, we're all human. We have that fear and embrace the idea um, that you have a new opportunity in, in front of you. Yeah, and, and you know, I think I think absolutely in terms of in terms of what you just said, that mindset is huge, isn't it? We and you know, we come up against um, large brands, small brands, you know, and typically it is the mindset that you need to crash through if you're going to make uh, progress in, in that area. And, and something also that you talk about um, a hell of a lot in your talks and, and also in your books is um, the difficulty uh, to get the attention of your audience now. And obviously, if you can uh, be of the moment and be brave enough to use your techniques of real-time marketing, you can grab the attention so much more. But, you know, what else would you say are, are the, um, you know, in terms of the, the recipe of getting people's attention, what, what other ingredients would you say are, are really, really important to, to achieve that? Well, the old recipe, I, I call them the old rules of marketing and PR, were that um, there was three sort of approaches that a company could take. Number one, they could spend lots of money on advertising. So you could spend money to advertise in the newspaper, the magazine, the television station, the radio station, uh, buying a, a direct mail list and sending out a direct mail. Um, you know, all of these are forms of buying attention. Another approach is to um, 
uh, you know, to use the tools of public relations and try to convince the members of the media to write about you. That's another way to generate attention. The third major way that companies have been using for a very long period of time is to deploy a sales force of some sort. So if you have a physical store, you, you, you employ salespeople in your store. If, um, if you're more of a B2B product or, or some other kind of um, large ticket item, you have people who go door to door and knock on doors or pick up the phone and call people or whatever it might be. Those are all another form of trying to generate attention one person at a time using sales. What we're talking about here, which is completely different, is the idea of earning attention. It's the idea of uh, creating information on the web that's designed that when people are looking for the sort of product or service that you sell, um, that they can find through the search engines. Or that if people are asking their friends and colleagues and family members on social networks, um, that they would mention your product or service or your company. And um, that's another way to generate attention. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that if advertising is working great for you that you should stop or that if, you know, your company loves to make cold calls on the phone um, that you should stop selling that way or that, that, that if public relations is generating tons of business for you, you should stop doing that. But most companies I talk to, those old ways aren't working so well anymore anymore. So the idea of generating attention on the web is a really, really um, um, valuable way to generate attention. And ultimately, that's what we're all trying to do is to get attention for our businesses so we can grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, David, I really want to pick your brain uh, in terms of tactics and strategy to get more emotion into marketing. But before I do that, um, I've done obviously I've done a little bit of research in terms of uh, what you've been up to lately, and I've said a number of times uh, in the last two years that if you want to see tomorrow's technology, then take a look at yesterday's comic books and sci-fi. And I happen to have read something that you've published in, in the last couple of days um, about your Tony Robbins experience. Oh and it, yeah, and it reminded me so much of um, of Superman, Superman, and um, and Jor-El played by Marlon Brando. It, it, it's absolutely incredible. This um, and I learned a new word as well today: um, the humanogram or humorogram. Have I got that right? Yeah, that, I, I I'm not sure that that name is going to stick. It's basically a live hologram. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting how you say look at um, science fiction for what's, what you're going to see in the future. I mean, just imagine our smartphones that are sitting in our pockets. I mean, what an amazing device. I mean, can you imagine 20 or 30 years ago imagining that 20 or 30 years in the future you're going to have this little tiny device um, that's really very small that will easily fit in your pocket that you can – communicate with practically anybody else in the world instantly on it. You could shoot a little video and um, either upload it to a site where anyone in the world could see it, or you could communicate one-on-one using video chat with somebody who could be anywhere in the world. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. And we've got many, obviously, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we've got it, and we've got that today, and that's that's sitting in our pockets. It's it's unbelievable. So yeah, so I speak at Tony Robbins events. They're called it's called Business Mastery. Tony Robbins Business Mastery. They typically four times a year, and um, in London, um, in uh, Las Vegas, in Palm Beach, Florida, and then in Melbourne, Australia, where I was last week. And um, for this particular event, Tony himself did not come. 
although I was there in person. Um, and instead, he came in via a live hologram. And this was the, um, the longest live hologram and also the longest distance live hologram ever attempted. And it worked, the technology worked flawlessly. So Tony was actually in a, in a studio in Florida, and he was being broadcast live through this hologram technology into the room in the Melbourne Convention Center in Australia. And it looked, um, it looked almost exactly like he was physically in the room. And you can get the sense of 3D. It was loud. It was... Um, you know, in very, very close to real time, there was sort of a one second delay kind of thing, but it was just really remarkable. Um, and, um, you know, live, live speeches will never go away. There will always be room to have physically a person in a room with other people physically, um, that will never go away. But, um, the technology is really getting interesting where you can present to a room if you're not physically there and that room, you know, it took me um, 14 hours to fly from Boston to Hong Kong and another nine hours to fly from Hong Kong to Melbourne, Australia to get there. And meanwhile, Tony didn't decide that he wasn't going to get on the planes. He's just going to be able to come in virtually. And it was a really interesting approach. He was able to see the audience. He was able to call on people by name because he could see um, in such detail. He could even see their name tags. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it was really, really interesting. Well, you know, I, I read that on your blog about, you know, the, it, it wasn't just one way. It was, it was, it was two way. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been to one of uh, Tony Robbins' uh, events uh, a good few years ago now, but obviously it's, it's something that stayed with me for a long time purely because of the experience. And I think I put it down, I think there was 10,000 people in the room yeah. um, when, when I, I was at this, this event. We did it, it was the one with, uh, where we did a firewalk on the first yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, it's called Unleash the Power Within. Yeah, and it, you know, it was, in, it was in absolutely incredible. And when people ask me to describe, you know, why was it so good – one part of the reason I said it was so good was, was first of all, um, we were asked to walk across hot coals in our first day, and then Tony quite rightly said, "Well, you know, in a matter of hours, you've done that. So why couldn't you do so much more in the next forty-eight hours?" Which I thought, you know, was quite profound. But you know, in, in summary, I thought it was because of Tony's energy in the room, and it was just absolutely magnetic. Yes, and you know, and, and so part of that is obviously emotionally connecting with the speaker, emotionally connecting with with yourself, actually, and sort of motivating yourself. So, you know, I've also heard um, lots and lots of people try and define, you know, uh, when when we're talking about communication, you'll never replace face to face because you know that you know you can't get better than that, and if you want to emotionally connect with somebody, then um, that's the only way to do it. But actually, this kind of defies that doesn't it because you know i've seen some of the footage and i've read your your blog there and he managed to rile up a huge room a huge audience and because oh, there was yeah, that yeah, too, yeah. Uh, i mean i i still believe that there is no substitution to the f being physically present mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah. this is extremely close yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it was so close that he was able to make people cry not ev not everyone in the room yeah. Not everyone in the room cries in a live event, but there were people um, during his, uh, he did several different of these hologram um, presentations, but during one of, and I missed the first one because I was flying in, but I saw the second one. Um, you know, there were people who were absolutely emotional as if he were in the room, 
Um, and, it, it, and if he didn't know, if you're sitting way in the back and no one told you, you probably wouldn't think that he wasn't in the room. It was that good. Um, and I think, you know, I've been, a, I've been a professional speaker now for about 10 years. And I, I think there's a number of things that work around the emotion here. And, you know, one of them is just using language that is appropriate to the audience. Another thing is that um, that passion has to show with the nonverbal communication of the speaker. In other words, what you say is one thing, but what your body language is is another. And if those are out of alignment, then you will not show emotion. Um, and, the sec- and the third thing is that um, uh, music is a really important component. Okay. Right. And, um, you know, having music be a part of, a, of an event is um, – is another way of hitting human emotions. And you've been to a Tony Robbins event, so you know this. Um, he uses music in a really big way. And his music is louder than any other event I've ever been to. Um, he uses music in the way that a rock band uses music. I mean, it is serious rock concert quality sound systems in his rooms. And that also adds to the emotional aspect of um, of the uh, of the event, and, I, and I'll, I'll throw out one little fourth thing that I've noticed of a Tony Robbins event. He's one of the very few conferences or events or speakers who actually lights the audience. Um, so he's breaking down the barrier between the audience and the speaker. I mean, in most cases, the speaker is on a stage, the speaker is lit, the audience is in the dark, yeah, yeah. and that that's a holdover from the theater. Because the theater, it was the audience was in the dark, the theater, the people on stage are in the light. And that's just naturally what they've done at conferences for 100 years. Yeah, yeah. But there's nothing to suggest that that's the right way to do it. Uh, so what Tony does, and you, you, know, you know, you've been to one of his events, um, he lights the entire audience um, in the same way that he lights the front of the stage so that um, anytime he goes out into the audience and walks around or anytime there's a camera, a video camera that goes on to someone in the audience that's projected in the crowd, it's fully lit. And it, 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 it doesn't eliminate, but it comes pretty close to eliminating the demarcation between who's the speaker on stage and who's the audience, which I think also adds to the emotional component. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to ask you, you know, if it isn't being present in the room... Um, you know, what is it about the Tony Robbins experience that makes it such an emotional um, experience? And, you know, you've already really eloquently described that. But um, interestingly, having the, the sort of the, the lights on the audience as well, do you think that's just a, a really great metaphor for, you know, the essence of social media in terms of it's not one way, it's two way. And it's it's about engagement. And, you know, is, is that something that Tony Robbins does phenomenally well? And we should, as, as digital marketers, we should take away from and, you know, really try and focus on the two-way engagement. Is that still missing in digital marketing? Um, I, think, I think if you consider the, the, the broad scope of digital um, marketing and advertising, I think it is. Um, I think that most people, when they think of creating uh, awareness using digital channels, still use an advertising approach. They still look at how am I going to buy attention with an audience. Mm-hmm. They still look at, you know, they don't think about how can I create a really compelling Facebook page. They think about how can I do advertising on Facebook. 
Um, they don't think, how can I engage an audience and get them to be a part of a community? They think, how can I shoot my messages to somebody one way and get them to um, buy my products or services? So I think, I think you're right that there is um, something that we can learn from this, from Tony Robbins. But I think that Tony's been doing this, these techniques since before, um, uh, before social networks. So um, I think it's just a nice way to learn, but it's not as if um, he took one tool and then turned it into another. Um, another thing I think which is really, really important about emotion and con- getting people connected is that the best um, people, and I, and I think Tony is also is a very good example of this, but the best people don't just talk about their own products and services. And that's one of the things that I've seen with, with online marketing that's just been the biggest darned mistake. And it's just crazy is that people are way too egotistical and they focus on talking about their own products and services or about what their company does way, way, way too much. And that just doesn't work so well. That doesn't allow you to connect with an audience. That does not allow you to build um, a, a group of people into a, a tribe who follows you because nobody really cares about products and services. What they care about are themselves and solving problems. So um, I, think, I think that if you, look, if you want to look at how you're going to generate emotion, how you're going to reach an audience um, using real solid human to human interaction nobody wants to hear about your, your what your company does and its products and its services and and related to that is the language that you choose to use and the images that you choose to use and if you're using what i call gobbledygook language you know like cutting edge mission critical <laughs> um best of breed innovative that those sorts of words you've lost all you've already lost the game is already over before it's been played. And if you're using images like stock for stock photos of people rather than real customers and real employees, you've also lost the game because nobody wants to see a fake person. Yet, um, you know, there are so many websites and online marketing initiatives where they're using images of people that are supposed to be either employees or customers that they bought from a catalog. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you're never, you're never going to build a, a relationship with somebody if you're doing that. So, um, you know, just some rambling thoughts on, on what you asked me. No, absolutely. I mean, um, one of the things I've, I've written about in the book is the, um, the part of the brain called the critical, factor, crit- critical faculty, which is essentially the bullshit monitor in our brain, um, you know, taking information and deciding, well, you know, is that bullshit or not? You know, yeah, can I believe yeah, yeah. in that? And I think, you know, even, even some, some decent good marketers today, even, you know, they recognize authenticity. They've even got inbound marketing philosophy behind them. But actually they're still uh, relying on um, the blog, a photograph, or some basic means of communication. And really to connect emotionally, surely we need more tools in, in, our, uh, in our box than that, right? I think we've got everything we need. I mean, clearly there's going to be new social networks that are going to, you know, that are going to launch and we need to think about what they are and how we can use them. But I think we've got what we need. We just, you know, to be more human, 
You just have to say, I'm going to reject what other people do. I'm going to reject what my advertising agency suggests. I'm going to reject the idea that I need to do what everybody else is doing. And I'm going to go my own path. And, you know, being able to understand buyers, being able to understand the audience you're trying to reach is a radical idea that a lot of people just don't do. Um, again, I, you know, I already said this, but the reason is because most companies are just too bogged down in the old way of doing it, which is to talk about yourself, talk about your products, talk about your services, rather than uh, talking about um, things that are interesting to your potential customers, rather than focusing on the the problems that your audience has. Yeah, absolutely, and and also I think because the markets, you know, the digital um, marketing industry is moving so fast. Do you think that there's also an aspect? I don't think it is. You, you don't. You don't think now. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, you know, we're we're now more than twenty years into this, and if you think about it from where we've gone in twenty years, sure, you know, there's always new tools. Yeah. You know, there's an um, you know, YouTube didn't exist 12 years ago, and Facebook didn't exist for at least not for students 10 years ago, and um, uh, Instagram didn't exist seven years ago, and you know, there's there's always new new tools. That that's true, but the fundamental approach that I'm advocating, I've been talking about for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. It's the approach of don't think like an advertiser, don't think like a salesperson, don't think like a public relations person. Yeah. Instead, think like a publisher of information that you're using to reach an audience. And I don't think that's changed in 20 years of digital marketing. So I don't think fundamentally things are changing. Yeah, the tools are changing. That's fine. And yeah, if you're really into some really esoteric corner of digital marketing, like you're a real... Um, focused search engine optimization guru, yeah, things change because Google cha Google changes their algorithm and you need to know about the Google algorithm changes. Sure, I get that. That's changing quickly. But fundamentally, if you create great content, it'll appear at the top of the search engine results and that has not changed in 20 years. Yeah, no, I can't disagree at all. But do you think part of the problem is... Um a lot of prof even professional marketers, they worry about the tactics too yes. much. They even worry yes. about the strategy too much. We're actually, um, if I'm hearing you right, David, you're, you're talking about the purpose and the authenticity of, of, uh, of what you're doing in the first place. And, and that, that's timeless. Yeah, I, and I think that's right. I think that, um, that people who are professionals tend to get bogged down thinking that things are moving so quickly, thinking they have to know the latest and the greatest, thinking that, oh my gosh, you know, Facebook just changed this little nuance of how they do their advertising and I've got to spend the next three days learning about that because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to do my job. Um, whereas my approach is forget about that. I mean, just think about what's the best way to reach an audience with a, great, with a piece of valuable information What's the best way to publish that information so it gets noticed? And that has not changed in 20 years. And um, I, think, I think a lot of for hire people, agencies and consultants and whatnot, um, are doing their clients a disservice by talking about how, you know, you've got to do the latest and greatest. Oh, my God, if you're not on um, Meerkat, you're going to lose out. Well, no, that's not true. 
um, if you're not on Meerkat, you're simply not um, part of one of the newer social networking tools, but that doesn't mean you're going to miss out. It means you're just not part of that new social networking tool. But if you're doing a great job on YouTube, which has been around for 12 years or however long it's been around, um, well, great. You're going to, you know, you're going to reach an audience through video. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, you know, you say 20 years, but but actually, um, you're an advocate of um, of some marketing techniques that have been around for over 50 years because you're probably the most um the world number one best uh, number one fan of uh, the grateful dead and uh, they're coming into their 50th year aren't they yeah well what the grateful dead did which was so remarkable is they allowed their fans to record concerts so um back before mark zuckerberg was even born the grateful dead built a um built a, a social network of people by sharing, by sharing information, you know, it was, it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, um, and I've been a fan since, um, uh, 19, probably around 1975, I was in secondary school, uh, because people, my friends, um, you know, listened to great, uh, recordings of the Grateful Dead and I got really interested in that. Wow, that's really great. What's that? That's Grateful Dead. And I ended up going to my first show in 1979. I was 18 years old and um, went to something like 50 shows over the course of the next years. And this weekend, in fact, um, as we're recording this, this coming weekend, July 3, 4, 5, the Grateful Dead are, are um, performing their last shows together. Um, and it's their 50th anniversary. They were founded in San Francisco in 1965 when I was four years old and, uh, and they're going to be playing their final shows and I'm going to be in the audience for all three of those uh, three final shows. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's yeah. incredible. I mean, you know, it just goes to show you doesn't it, some of those, those principles, um, you know, really defining how as professional marketers, as professional communicators, we, we can, we can learn from that. And, you know, another thing that, um, that, you know, I'm a huge advocate and in fact I've written about is, um, how, Marketers are professional communicators, but actually in other industries, there are other professional communicators that we can learn from, such as um, Hollywood or comedians, you know, or or politicians, you know. Does anyone else sort of spring to mind that we should be diversifying our attention and learning from? And like, you know, who who else? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who should we be taking inspiration from? The the big the biggest um, case marketing case study ever happens every four years and it's the u.s presidential election cycle <laughs> okay. and it's now it's now in full swing yeah. and it's going to be going on from now until november of 2016 uh, which is a you know a, when election day comes around the first tuesday in november 2016 and um so from now until then you know we've got um sort of 16 months worth of unbelievable um, um, examples of good, bad, awful, fantastic marketing. And, you know, it's classic. There's now, I think, 20 candidates that have declared, and some people think there might be as many as 30 candidates that will end up declaring. We've got... um, the son of a president. We've got the wife of a president. We've got Donald Trump, who is just unbelievable in so many ways. I mean, this is just fantastic. Couldn't write that. As a marketer, marketer, um, you don't need to really understand American politics to really get into 
learning from how these candidates are trying to develop an audience and how these candidates are trying to break through. And there's lots of different channels. There's television, there's um, public speaking, there's digital, social. Um, and then um, uh, I, think, I think the first debate is next month or two months from now, but then they're going to hit the debate stage. So, um, gosh, that's a really, really important uh, way for marketers to, to take a look at um, how people do it, the good and the bad. Brilliant. Brilliant. David, I know your time is very valuable, so I've just got a few more questions before we uh, wrap this up. Some, some quick-fire questions, if you would. Sure. Um, if you could eradicate one common marketing faux pas from the face of the earth, what would it be? Too much focus on products and services. Simple and uh, effective, absolutely. Okay, and what is the next big thing, according to David Meerman Scott? The next big thing is already here. Um, they're focusing on the next big thing is um, not going to help. Um, the next big thing is here. We are now living in the most interesting times ever. Yeah. Um, it is, we are in the middle of the biggest communications revolution ever in human history because we now have access to every single other person on the planet through our um, smartphones. And um, the, the, the future is here. Uh, focusing on what's coming after this amazing time is counterproductive. Wow. Okay. Great, great answer. Um, give us your number one way to inject emotion into marketing as concise as you could uh, put it. Um, don't, don't pay attention to what's interesting to you. Pay attention to what's interesting to the people that you're trying to reach. That means you under, need to understand your buyers. You need to understand your audience. You need to think like a journalist and create stories rather than think like an advertiser and push product. Fantastic. And finally, if there's one thing you want to be remembered for, David, what is it? Um, I want to be remembered as somebody who has helped uh, people to grow their businesses. Brilliant. Very concise. Um, David, I can't thank you enough for the last half an hour. I'm sure our listeners will get so much value out of that. Um, so thanks once again. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you very much for having me on. Brilliant. Thank you. So that's it for another week. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, please feel free to subscribe or even check out our Getting Goosebumps marketing book available in Amazon. If you have any specific questions, you can also tweet us using the hashtag AskPH. I'd be delighted to answer your questions. Until next week, goodbye.